We all know people we regard as good folks, and we all know a scoundrel or two. Are people basically good, with an exception here or there? Are people basically bad, with the exceptions being the reputable among us? Or are all people bad? After all, we are all sinners to some degree, right? What does the Bible say? Are human beings bad or good? That's our topic today on Craving Answers, Craving God. I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor of St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, suppose I'm thinking, I don't know what we're going to talk about today. It's pretty obvious. Some people are good. Some people are bad. Isn't it just that simple? That, that is the world we live in now. Uh, there's goodies and there's baddies. The goodies are the people who agree with me and the baddies are the people who don't. And if you, if, if you make the error of engaging in any sort of discourse on social media, you'll see that, that there's us and that there's them. But when, there, there's, I think it's pretty clear to all of us when we stop and we look at who we are as humans, who, a better way to do it maybe at, at initially is to look at other human beings. We, we know that all human beings, so when you look at historical figures, one of the things you'll notice is that uh, they're a mixture of good and bad, that there are some good things they do and there are some bad things they do. My son and I are listening to a podcast uh, about the early life of Winston Churchill right now. And it's clear that there's some really great things about him. There's nobility. There's massive amounts of courage. But there's also, he's uh, he's a braggart, and he's a little bit of a, he's full of himself. And um, any, any historical person, you know, th- think about your favorite president or, um, uh, you know, just some character from history, you're going to see that they're a mixture of good and bad. This When we watch a movie, we only will believe in a character in a movie if it if that person has some combination. We'll only believe in the hero if there's some sort of flaw inside that hero too that 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 gives them that that is a weakness, a moral weakness, or a character a character weakness. Uh, we won't believe it if it's somebody that's 100% good and righteousness. We don't really believe in that person. And same thing with a, a villain in a movie is. Uh, We'll only believe in a villain if there's this like spark of there's something about their life that is good. And we're all familiar with villains like this, you know, the drug lord who happens to be the good father uh, or something like that. Um, The same holds true. I mean, it's easier, I think, to see. For me, it's easier to see in historical figures like uh, like I'm talking about. But when I look at myself, if I'm honest, I have to notice the same thing is that Within me, there are good impulses. There's something about loving other human beings. There's something about self-sacrifice. There's something about hard work and producing things that benefit my community that really is attractive to me and I want to do. But I'm also so full of myself, and um, I'm self-centered. I'm lazy. Uh, I, I manipulate people with words to try and get them to you know position them to do what we, I want we all them to do. do. That. 
We all do that. Well, sure, and th- this is the point is that there aren't some of us that are good and some of us that are bad. We, we find when we look at ourselves that there's something beautiful about what it means to be a human being for reasons that we can go into. I've got these very, very Christian reasons for this. But there's a brokenness that runs down the middle of all of us too that, that mars us and, and transforms us. I think that we all are – there's something good about us and there's a lot of bad about us. So you've taken my simple proposition and complicated it up almost to the max, I think, here. I was just going to try to categorize people. You're in the good category. You're in the bad category. And now you've reduced that to individuals, and you've identified the reality that every individual is a complicated combination of both bad and good. That means that we're left to try to figure out which of those two things dominates in that person's personality? Are they mostly bad? Like, are they on the villain side or are they on the hero side? And I guess this is something that we all do when we get to know somebody, get to see behind the curtain. Right. So here's a text from Romans 3, because now that you've taken away my simplicity— I have to reevaluate this verse in maybe a a different way. Paul writes, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So if we're in the habit, in the business of evaluating other people, on the hero to villain scale, this scripture seems to have just consigned everybody to the villain side of the scale. This is chilling. Is this sweeping condemnation as clear as it seems to be? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the yeah. first the, the yeah, first part of that, that the first part of that the um, you know having to to do the math to figure out is this person a hero or a villain? Again, that's that's uh, it's, it's irresistible. We all do that. It. it it's not simple, though. It's it's very complex. If if you are a citizen living in a town that's run by a drug lord, it's super clear. This person has the police in his pocket. This person uses murder and violence to get his way. It's clear this is a villain. But if this happens to be the kind of drug lord I was talking about a second ago, I don't have anybody in mind, by the way, uh, who is a good father. If you're that if you're that man's uh, son or daughter. It's it's simple. This person's a hero uh, because that's how you know that person as father. You don't know them as drug lord. You know them as father. So it's never as it's never it's never simple. Complicated too by the fact that that we don't as humans we don't really have a standard for what's good or bad besides ourselves. You know the people who are bad people are the people who are worse than me. Um. The people who are the good people are the people who are like me or who are better than me. And we, it's, it's irresistible that we use ourselves as a standard to decide who's right and who's wrong, which it's, in, in many ways, that's, like I said, it's, it's unavoidable. And, and in some ways, it's totally fine. But what this text that you just read is about us before God, there's nothing that we can offer God to say, look, I'm a good person. But Paul's not saying that there's, that, That's a pretty radical thing to say yeah. in the years of many people. Right. So, so P- Paul's not saying that people don't do good things. 
clearly people do good things. What he's saying is, is that before God, seeking God, he, he mentions no one seeks after God. You know, being a good person in order to please or make God happy is impossible, Paul is saying. It's just we're, we're not good enough, even the best of us, even the Abraham Lincolns and the Mother Teresas and the Nelson Mandela's among us are not good enough to please God. They're very, very, they're good. Well, all three of those people are very, very good to please us, to do good things for humanity and to, that we all stand back and say, that's a good person. But before God, there's not a single person that that will work for. What would you say to somebody who says, I think Paul's engaging in hyperbole here. He doesn't really mean no one, absolutely no one seeks God I know a person who, I'm playing this role now, I know a person who sought God for decades, and it was a long, arduous journey, and but finally became a Christian, and now is a, a strong believer. Part of it, a result of his search. So I'm not sure I agree with this, no one seeks God. What would you say? Well, no one wants, no one is seeking the God of the Bible. No one is seeking the creator God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God enfleshed in, 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 in Jesus Christ. No one seeks that God. It's too scary. The demands are too high. We seek God. So there's two ways we can say it. One way is some of us seek God, and what we're looking for is a God that will satisfy the needs that we have or a God and that I, will answer the intellectual questions that we have. And so are we seeking God? Yes, in a sense, but are we seeking the real God? None of us does that. The other thing is that a lot of people are seeking a lot of things that they might not even call God, but actually can only be fulfilled by the creator God. So are they seeking God? You know, when I, uh, so, so somebody who's, um, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a total lad, a guy who's out partying and chasing women you know, he really, really desperately, he's not seeking God at all, maybe. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. You know, he's not thinking philosophically about God or he's not praying and saying, God, reveal yourself to me. What he's looking for is to know that he's attractive, to know that that he can get people to do what he to, to, to have the security of knowing people like me and love me and I'm attractive to women. So he's chasing after that. He's really, actually, he's only ever going to get – He's only ever going to realize that he's completely 100% attractive when he comes to the realization that the God of the universe is completely 100% attracted to him. That's the only thing that's going to fulfill it. So is he seeking after God? No, he's not. Paul's right. But what he's looking for can only be found in God. Now, one of the – so dump a little Christianity in here too. One of the wonderful things about Christianity is that we don't seek after God we might seek after a God of our own making, like we said, or we might seek after something that's not God, but only God can satisfy. But God will use that. God, that's actually God pulling and drawing us to himself, saying, yeah, you're right, you do want God, but not the God that you're thinking about. Come to me. Or you know, your heart longs for something, to be satisfied, to be filled. Stop Stop going. Stop looking for that in money, sex, or power and come to me. God will use that to draw people to himself. And at the end of the day, what, what we'll end up saying is, you know what? I was really looking hard for something that ended up being God. So is that seeking after God? Maybe, maybe not. What Paul means, though, is that the one true God in Jesus Christ, nobody's really interested in him. 
So, excuse me, Romans 3 tells us no one does good, not even one. Exclamation point. Yeah. My exclamation point. What about Joseph of Arimathea? Luke writes in chapter 23 of his gospel, Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man. So just when I thought there was not one righteous, no, not one, along comes St. Luke, who identifies a righteous man. Have we unearthed the contradiction in the Bible? Yeah. No, that's I always, I, uh, my son has a friend who's an atheist who told him the other day, uh, he said, um, well, this, uh, this passage here, maybe I mentioned this in here earlier in another previous episode. This passage here says that God is angry, and this passage here says God is loving. And so there's a contradiction in the Bible. And uh, my son had to point out to him, no, this is the way people work. <laughs> you know, sometimes you're angry and sometimes you're gentle. And uh, it's not a contradiction. It's just the way people work. Uh, language is the uh, very same uh, way here. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea is a good and righteous man, Luke says. Um, you know, uh, a couple of different ways to look at that. One is you can look at people from a surface level. You know, I can say my mom's a good lady. And, and I, I think that's a totally legitimate way to talk about it to talk about her because she's kind, she's sweet, she does good things. If you go back to the Romans 3 way of talking about her, you would say she's actually not good enough to make God happy with her. And so if, if, if what you mean by like she's a good person is, is she must satisfy the demands that God has put on humanity, then she's not a good person. But what if what you mean is, is compared to a lot of other moms I've heard about or know about, she's a good mom, then... That's a legit, a legitimate way to talk about it. So, what what is what do we mean by Joseph of Arimathea, man, good and righteous man? We can mean one of two things. One is he's a good dude. He's upright, honest, tries real hard. Compared to other human beings, he's a good dude. That's a totally legitimate way to talk about. It. What it could mean is is that this is a man who is right with God. So righteous means right in a right relationship with God. And what it, what it could mean, and frequently when the Bible talks about people being righteous, what it means is this, is that by nature, they, they are like the rest of us. Bits of good, bits of bad, but not anywhere near good enough to make God happy. No human being is, like Paul said. But that person has gone to God and said, can you make me right? I'm not good enough to be pleasing to you. Can you put me in a right relationship with you? And if we do that with God, he will put us in a right relationship with himself through Jesus Christ. And he'll unite us to Jesus. He does this in baptism. He does this when people come to faith in Jesus, is that God unites us to Jesus in such a way that whatever's true about Jesus is true about us. So it's possible to say a man is a righteous man, a woman is a righteous woman, and we don't mean everything they do is 100% good. We mean that when God looks at them, God sees Jesus and says, that's my child. And so it's it really not dependent upon who they are or what they've done. It's dependent upon how God sees them is what it means. But my hunch is that uh, Joseph of Arimathea falls into that category. He's somebody who's believed in Jesus. And when God looks at him, he says, I don't see any of the bad stuff that guy does. All I see is the righteousness of my own son, Jesus, and Joseph of Arimathea is good with me. So are we identifying the distinction between civil righteousness, what we sometimes call civil righteousness, 
as opposed to kingdom of God, righteousness, it's possible to look at people with whom we're acquainted and see good in them because the things that they do to other people, for other people, are good. It's easy. Right, yeah. It's easy to. Well, it's it's good. But those things, while they may merit our appreciation, our positive feelings toward them, those things do not work to earn or merit any positive uh, response from God. Is Am I saying that right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So Martin Luther talks about there being two kinds of righteousness, and they're both good. They're both good. It's not like one's, you know, one's fake and one's real. Two kinds of righteousness, both gifts from God. When, 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 when a drug lord is a good father and has genuine love and concern for his children, that's because God made that drug lord in his image, and there's still a part of that drug lord that reflects. Even if it's a small part, there's a part of that drug lord that reflects who God is, even though it's been marred and damaged by selfishness and violence, whatever. And so that, that kind of righteousness is good, and it should be, we should root for our neighbors to exercise that kind of righteousness. But the other kind of righteousness that God talks about in his word is the kind of righteousness that pleases him, that says, you are, you are good enough to come into my presence. I am holy, and now you are holy too. You are so good that you're holy enough to come into my presence. That's not, it's not possible for fallen humans, any of us, to achieve that kind of righteousness, although it's very possible to become the good neighbor kind of righteous. Um, and so what we need to do is we need to exercise both. Humans need to exercise both. They need to understand that being a good neighbor is important, being honest, being upstanding, uh, being hardworking, loving your kids and your spouse and your parents and your friends and your neighbors, all of that's important. It's not good enough to please God, so also being righteous, being good in God's eyes is, is the foundation. And if you're not good in God's eyes, ultimately at the end of the day, however pleasant a person you've been, however good you've been, it's not good enough to be in God's presence. And this is why, I mean, people have uh, problems with Christianity sometimes because, you know, here's somebody who's super, super kind and good, but they completely reject Jesus. And the Bible and Christians insist that person is a great person, super kind, but not right with God, and so not ultimately going to be rescued. Whereas you'll find somebody else who has lived a horrible, rotten life, and they're miserable and selfish and even violent, and at some point they'll be like, God, rescue me. There's something screwed up about me. I want to be right with you. Like, Baptize me into your son, Jesus Christ. And Christians will insist that person's okay. And so uh, people don't like that. But honestly, that's, that's really the only way to make sense of the problem that we are as humans, that there's something about us that's good, but there's something about us that's broken and needs fixed. And God is totally powerful enough to heal completely the brokenness. Let's talk to the person who's listening to us right now who struggles to process what you're saying. Because for their entire life, they have evaluated goodness before God pretty much based on the goodness that we're allowed to see. So they have a, they have a wonderful, 
glorious, loving grandmother, where they have a very, very close friend in whom they would put all their trust. And they just naturally come to the conclusion that these people are going to heaven. These people will be in the resurrection. Just just look at them. They're good people. These are the people whom God favors. And that's their system of understanding what we're talking about here. We're talking about justification. Who is justified before God? We have this troublesome Romans passage, no one seeks God, no one does good, not one. And I'm hearing for the first time, just imagine I'm hearing for the first time, somebody articulate a system that is completely different than the one I've sort of assumed to be true my whole life. People who are good people go to heaven. And I look at some of them and I know who they are, and I expect them to be be in heaven because of that. What would you say? Well, a lot of what we have been talking about, I, um, I, th- I think that we we all know deep down inside that we aren't good. I, I've never talked to somebody honestly. I, I don't ever remember a conversation with somebody who, if I probe deep enough, they won't say, "Yeah, I'm screwed up." You know, even super kind people will say, "I, I did that." You know, I. I I took all that. I took all. I gathered up all those coats and took them down to the food bank. And afterwards, I thought, "I'm I'm a really good person." And then I thought, "Wait a minute, I'm full of pride." And if you poke hard enough at us, you'll find that even the good things about us are things that we use to like. Well, I'm better than other people who don't do this. Other people should be more like me. Other people should be more active in in collecting coats for the you know for the local coat drive in the winter. And so, when you start talking to people, and maybe better when you look at yourself in the mirror and start talking to yourself, you'll realize that as as good as some of us are or aren't, there's a lot of things about us that are broken and screwed up. And as long as those things are there. And we've talked a lot. We've talked several times in here before. I know Chuck about what does it mean to be forgiven by God? Why does God need to forgive? Why? It, why does God not like sinfulness? Then, as 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 long as that stuff is in there, we need to be forgiven by God before we are ultimately capital G good in His sight. Capital lowercase G good is terrific, but it's not good. It's good enough for me. Like I, I like nice people, but is it good enough for God? That's the ultimate question, and the, the Bible's answer is no. Outside of Jesus, there's none of us who are good. Well, what you just talked about there was sort of like self-evaluation, self-reflection. I'm talking about the person who hopes to bring into his or her life people of good repute, people whose reputation virtually spotless. And we aspire to be like that person. We use that person as a role model. And we feel like if we can become more like that person, we increase our chance. We don't, nobody thinks this way, but maybe subconsciously we do. We think that if we can find a way to become better and we can use this person as a role model, better chance to go to heaven. And that's my reality. And you're messing with it today. Um, I would just say you don't know that person well enough. Like if that's what you're thinking, you just don't know that person well enough. There's lots of people in my life that I've admired 
from a distance. And then I'm thinking about one person in particular who has been kind of a mentor to me. And when I first met this person, I thought this person is the ultimate in the role that they're in. And I just admire this person so much. And I, I got the, um, the the really great experience of getting to know this person uh, really well over the course of the following years. And what I found was that this person also has hangups, also has greed points, selfish points. There are points at which this, at which this person feels sorry for him or herself. And it, the closer you get to people, the the harder it is to hold them on a pedestal. That's why. So I, I mean, this is going to sound. I don't know. I want to try to make, I don't want this to sound obnoxious or self-aggrandizing, but when people come to our church for the first time and they meet me and they hear me preach, one reaction I typically get from them is super positive, super positive. And they just love the sermon and I'm just doing such a great job here. And a lot of times what's happening is they're comparing me to some pastor of a church that they've left, you know, and they're like, well, this is the kind of pastor I'm looking for. It does not take long before they start yawning when I preach. It doesn't take long before they start disagreeing with me because I'm not anything special. I'm, I'm, I'm new. They don't know me at all. And so they think, wow, this guy's got it going on. And the closer you get to me, you ask my kids, they'll tell you, Oh, that guy's a real schlepper, you know, (laughs) that guy's lazy and he's selfish and he's got a bad temper and he's manipulative. My my kids, my wife will tell you all the things about me. Basically a human being. Well, yeah, but so I'm I'm not trying to hold myself up as good. I'm just saying when people first meet me, they think all they see is what I want them to see. I don't show them, you know, I don't show them manipulation. I show them kindness. I try to impress them. And the closer you get to somebody, uh, I, this is we're just talking in circles about this, but the, the closer you get to somebody, the closer you get to your own heart, the more you realize there is nobody who's capital G good. Everybody is screwed up. We all need some sort of outside help. Well, I think we're getting closer to the destination here. Isaiah 64, 6 says, and we're going to compare an Old Testament uh, scripture to a New Testament scripture. Isaiah 64 says, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. All. However, in Paul's letter to Titus, he says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Actually, Paul goes on to reference good works three more times in his letter. So how can a person be a model of good works if all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment? You answer that, and you might be able to solve this for me. um, As a Christian, I would say this. When when, when the Bible, whether it's Paul in Romans 3, which you quoted earlier, or this uh, section in Isaiah, when it talks about all our righteousness being um, uh, filthy rags or, you know, uh, polluted garments, what it means is, is if I hold up my righteousness to you or to God as a way to validate my existence— If I say to God, here, I'm worthy, I'm a good person. If I say to my wife, hey, I'm a good person, I'm worthy, those, quote, righteous, unquote, deeds are absolutely 
pointless. They're not doing what I think they're doing. They're not validating my existence. No value. No value. But when you go to Titus, what he's doing is he's talking to Christians, to people who are finding their identity, not in the fact that they're successful at business, not in the fact that they are good moral people, which is what we're talking about, but in Jesus Christ, that God has accepted me for Jesus Christ. Okay, now that you're in there, go do good works. And you can because you don't need to do them. I don't need to do I don't need to go to work to get value anymore as a Christian. I God's already looked at me and said, "Aaron, you're perfect." That's ultimate value. Now I'm free to go to good work and it not be about me. It be about loving and serving my neighbor. Like I'm free to be a good parent, not because I need to be a good parent in order to justify myself before God or justify myself to a world that's watching my you know every move on Facebook. I don't need that. God already looks at me and says, Aaron, you're perfect. Now I'm free to be a good parent because I don't need to be a good parent. I can just love my kids for the sake of my kids, not because it does anything for my identity or it tears it down or builds it up at all. And so when you look at righteousness in those two different ways, one way is using righteousness as a way to get in, to get in with God or to get in with society or to get in with other people. The other way is to use righteousness because you already are in. And righteousness, because we already are in, is a beautiful thing to love people completely selflessly, not because I need anything back from them, not because I need any sort of pat on the back, not because I need my pride stroked, but just because it's good to love other people. That's a beautiful thing. Okay, this uh, this is starting to take shape in my mind here. I'm, I think I'm starting to catch a glimpse of what you're talking about. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Then he goes on to say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In the same breath, Aaron, Paul seems to be taking away works and then calling for them. Can you see why I'm a little confused? Well, yeah, but this is a great. That's that. That text is a great example of what we've been talking about. You don't get into Christ, which is a fancy Christian way of saying you're right, you're good, you're validated, you have worth and value. God says to you, "You're good with me." You don't get there by good works. You can't be good enough to get there. But once you're in Christ Jesus, it says, then you've been created you we are as workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works once you're in Christ Jesus then you can begin to be a good person you can begin to do good works you can begin to love your neighbor in a way that's completely pleasing to God not because you're doing good works but because you're in Christ Jesus that's a great that's a great uh, summary text so you just you just enumerated a number of flaws that you associate with Aaron Miller, um, you clearly declared that uh, there are many ways that you fall short. And then not too long after that, you said, God looks at you and says, you're perfect. I'm kind of starting to get this, but that's still, that's a monumental, mostly I think on the surface, abstract thing to, to think about. You just testified, you just confessed that, I don't know what you said about yourself, we don't need to go over that again, but a lot of not too terribly flattering things, and then you said God looks at you and says you're perfect. 
Yeah. So how does that work? I mean, I, I understand on the surface, preach it all the time, but how does that work? A good way to look at it is this. What does God, what is God satisfied with? What satisfies God? And, and the answer is, is anything that's broken or has even a whiff of rebellion against him does not satisfy him. Well, that's, that's all of us. All of us, like Paul says, none of us seek God. All of us, maybe we want the benefits of God, but we don't really want submission to God. There's uh, About all of us, there's at least a whiff, and about some of us, there's uh, a real stench of rebellion against God. So God can't be satisfied with that. What about the what about the universe he's created? Well, thanks to humans, now it's screwed up too. Now the universe, well, well, again, like humans, a beautiful place, also is broken as well. There's diseases. There's earthquakes. Um, there's asteroids smashing into planets. There's all kinds of things. So what is God satisfied with? And the answer in the Bible is, this is super important, there's only one thing in the universe that God is ultimately completely satisfied with, and that's his own son. His own son is perfect in his sight. Now, the Holy Spirit's a part of this too. Let's save that for a different conversation. But for right now, God is completely and absolutely satisfied with Jesus Christ. Not with me, but with the son, Jesus Christ. Here, here's the story of the Bible. Part of the story of the Bible is this, that the apex of it is this, is that Jesus came to die the death that I should have died and live the life that I should have lived in order that if I believe in him, if I'm baptized into him, that when God looks at me, he actually sees his son, Jesus. So when God looks at me, I'm broken, I'm screwed up, I'm a rebel against him. He can't possibly be satisfied. But now that I'm inside of his son, Jesus Christ, when he looks at me, he sees Jesus instead. And all of the satisfaction that he has in his son, Jesus, all the passionate love he has for his son, Jesus, all the different ways that he looks at his son, Jesus, and says, you are perfect. Now, those have been transferred to me. And all the bad things that screw me up have been transferred to Jesus and are no longer visible in God's eyes. And that's my one hope, is that I will be good in God's eyes. That's as, 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 as a human being, I want to be right before the only person in the world whose opinion ultimately matters, the creator God. And the only way to do that is to be in Jesus Christ. Once I'm in there, then I can be liberated and free to do good works and to be a good person for other people. Let's wrap it up by talking about that word free that you just used there, because I know there's someone listening to us who understands the gospel. They understand what you're saying. For them, you're, you're affirming what they already know and believe, and they're just nodding their heads. Yeah, that's right. There's someone else who has pretty much applied a, a kind of a legalistic approach to religion all their lives. They see religion working pretty much the way the world works. There's no such thing as a free lunch, right. and you've just got to work on self-improvement, and you spend your whole life working on self-improvement. You read Matthew where it says, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, and that's what I've been doing. I've been trying to perfect myself. Now, I hear you take that away. You're flawed. I'm flawed. But God sees us as perfect in Jesus Christ. If it's true that 
there is nothing to be gained by working to earn the favor of God, but that God, here as it says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, has made this happen, happen, and it is not our doing, it's his doing. There's a there's a spectacular amount of freedom and liberty in that. If you open up your hand and release your effort to justify yourself, can you talk about the freedom that comes with that? Yeah. Um, so th- this isn't a perfect example, but uh, imagine somebody who's out in the water and they're drowning. Again, this is not a perfect example, so don't like take any of these elements of this example to their logical conclusions. It won't make any sense. Imagine somebody who's out in the water and drowning and they're not a very good swimmer. And somebody, this is this is you'll hear about this happening sometimes. Somebody, a lifeguard or somebody who's a good swimmer will go out to rescue them and end up getting hurt because the person won't stop thrashing. And when the lifeguard gets out there, frequently what they have to do is they have to convince the person to stop trying. I can get you back in. Again, not a perfect example, but I just need you to hold on to me. Um, but, But stop thrashing around. If you're thrashing around, there's a part of you that's like knows you're in trouble, that knows you need help. And even when the help comes, a lot of times a swimmer will think, okay, the help's here, but I still can't stop. I can't not stop thrashing here. And what God is willing to do is say, stop thrashing. Don't do anything. I can actually take you to shore. But if we are going to insist on thrashing around, the lifeguard's going to be in a jam because the lifeguard can't help us if we don't stop trying to help ourselves, which is the opposite of the way we usually think about morality and ethics is I have to do my part and then somebody I get some outside help, you know, a, a guru or a self-help writer or, you know, God or Jesus even. And actually the, the message of Christianity is there's a freedom in just abandoning your own works. Stop trying to make yourself a legit person. Stop trying to establish your own value. Stop trying to do enough good things to give yourself worth. Stop thrashing around. And when we stop thrashing around, we'll find that our Heavenly Father is there and that by the power of His Son, Jesus Christ, He can take us to shore. And then once we're on shore, we can walk around, thrash around if you want to, but you don't have to. You don't have to do that. You shouldn't do that in the water because you can't save yourself. And I don't know if that's a good example or not. I know there's a lot of weak points in there as I was as I was talking about it. But to go back to your question, there's a deep, deep freedom and just saying, God, I can't do this. I need your son, Jesus. I cannot make myself a good person. So quickly, let's just summarize and revisit the original question that we asked at the top of our program. Are human beings bad or good? When we ask that question, I think we probably set minds in motion to the, for the people who are listening to us. What's the answer to the question, are human beings bad or good? The answer is, same as it was half hour ago, the answer is yes. We are, we are like, uh, I had a professor who said this once, human beings are like beautiful tumble-down castles in Europe, an old abandoned castle or, or you know, church, that when, you, when you're there, you can see the majesty of it, you can see the beauty of it. You're still struck with the awe, which the original intact building was designed to give off. But you can also see it's broken and it's empty 
and the walls are down and it needs repaired. All human beings are like that. What I'm saying today, what we're talking about today is that once you are in Jesus Christ, he frees you to do the good works and he starts to rebuild that building. So it's not just a case of bad and good both, but our ultimate destiny is God is repairing us. And when Jesus returns, we will be remade completely beautiful, completely good. Our podcast is titled Craving Answers, Craving God. We hope to provide biblical answers for your questions. Send your questions directly to me. My email address is chuckrathert at stjamesglencarbon.org. If you're craving answers, we're craving your questions. For Pastor Aaron Miller and our production manager, Larry O'Leary, I'm Chuck Rathert. May God bless your day.